0: It's certainly a privilege to uh, be here today. It's good to see everybody's smiling face. It's an honor to uh, stand before you, an affirmation of God's uh, holy word. We trust that uh, we will say something that will benefit you. I want to talk a little bit about attitude. You know, talent is never enough. In fact, uh, numbers are not enough. Education is not enough. A good job is not enough. You've got to have the right attitude. In fact, really, the right perspective is given to us as Christians if we'll allow the Lord to lead us properly. You know, in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul writes a lot about attitude, and he writes all the things that he writes there in Philippians while he's in prison. Now, if I were Paul, it'd be pretty tough to rejoice (laughs) while I was behind bars. But he could do that. And he could do that because of his perspective. Now, he didn't do that because it was fun to be in jail or that he liked being a prisoner. In fact, he was not there because of any wrongdoing he did. He he was there because of doing right. But the point is, it didn't matter what his state was in this world, his citizenship, his mind was set on heaven and eternity. He recognized that Jesus, had gone to prepare him a home, and that home was now ready. And all he had to do was get himself ready. And so that's what he did. Well, Solomon said a long time ago, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now listen to me. Happiness is not something that you decide to have at five o'clock in the evening. It's not something you decide to uh, enjoy once a week. Happiness is a state of mind and it's a decision. Listen to me. If you're not happy, it's your choice. See? Happiness is the byproduct of choosing to do the right things for the right reason, and then knowing with assurance a peace of mind that surpasses all understanding. So we're thinking about the attitude of our lives, the attitude of That is the paintbrush of our minds. Uh, In Ecclesiastes 10, verse 2, the writer says, A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Now, that's a little bit uh, difficult for me to understand, so I like to read it from this version. I want you to listen to what he says Wise thinking leads to right living. Listen, stupid thinking. Leads to wrong living. Now that's pretty plain. And that's the truth. If you want the church to change. If you want to change your life. Then you have to change your mind. You have to change your thinking. See that's by design. You know the Bible says. Therefore if any man be in Christ. He is a new creation. God has designed the church. He has designed the spiritual life that we're to live to change our thinking. Paul said, if you then be risen with Christ, he just spoke of baptism, the fact that we're buried with Christ in the baptism. And he says, we rise up out of that water. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So, Thinking. You know, one of the problems I think that I've had through the years, I didn't think before I talked. Or I didn't think through what was going to happen before I acted. And right thinking will lead us in a great way and will help us be what we ought to be. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23 and verse 7. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, Paul tells us, he gives gives us a prescription of how to be happy. He gives us a prescription of how to have the right perspective, the right attitude. Paul admonishes us on how to live fulfilled. Now, listen to me. Some folks live, but they don't live. They can't see the forest for the trees because they haven't ever learned what real living is all about. You know, there was a time in my life when I worried about things. And you know, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. You know what that means? It just, what, you know what he's saying there? He's saying in uh, language that's a little bit couched with, with the word anxious, don't be worried. Now that's a command. None of us as Christians should be people who worry about everything. Now, Paul admonishes us on how to get rid of all that worry. He tells us how we can be different. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, he talks about his beloved brethren at Philippi. They were very close. In fact, you know, that's the way it is. Sometimes you're closer with other folks than you are with other folks. It isn't because uh, you're not a good person that I'm not not all that close to you. Terry and I grew up together. We spent, I, I spent uh, nights in his house at Cottage Grove. My grandparents lived at Cottage Grove. We used to see each other when we were kids. So we're close. We got some, we got some uh, connection there that I don't have with everybody else. You know, Wade grew up in my absence. I left California 25 years ago. How old are you, Wade? 21? Four. See, he was born after I left. So I hardly know Wade. Now, I love Wade because I love his parents, but I'm not connected to Wade. Now, Paul loved everybody. He did everything he could to help anybody, but there was a special relationship that existed between he and the Philippian people. He had lived there and had spent time there, and they had financially even helped him upon several occasions. They had seen to his necessities, even when he was not laboring with them. And so there was a very uh, fast closeness. And he tells me, he says, if you want your life to be full, if you want to really live, then the first thing you've got to do is stand fast. You know, my grandpa pointed out to me what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 a number of years ago. And it just kind of stuck in my mind all these years. you ever noticed how many times Paul says stand in Ephesians 6? Stand therefore. Stand up. He tells us over and over again, our job is to stand. Now, What does he mean by that? He means stand fast in the faith. Don't just show your ignorance and stand on something that is not based on any truth. But stand on the word of God. Now listen to me. Just because you have a conviction doesn't mean it comes from the word of God. Because we're all biased. So be careful. But when the Bible says stand fast in the faith, it could have said stand fast in the gospel. So when you stand fast on some spiritual principle, don't just, uh, it may be a good, wise thing, but unless it's in the Bible, that's not what Paul's talking about, see. Now you can have personal personal scruples. In fact, that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 14 when he says, keep that faith to yourself. But here he's talking about the faith that Jude says, earnestly we are to contend for. In Jude verse 3, he says stand fast in the faith. You want to fulfill life? Then live according to the Bible. The Bible's not written to plague our lives with uh, restrictions. In fact, sometimes uh, when I sit in the the seat in the audience uh, and preachers get up and preach, it almost seems like the Bible's filled with all kinds of thou shall not do this and thou shall not do that. And that's true. There are some places where it says that. But listen to me. For every negative, there's a positive. And unless you put some things in your life, you know. I remember, and I bet, I venture to say that Linwood did that very thing here. He wrote a bunch of zeros. You know, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a liar. I'm not uh, sti- uh, a thief. He wrote all those zeros on the board, and he said, "What happens when you add up a bunch of zeros?" He said, "That's what happens to your faith when you, all you all when all it amounts to is the negative things." You see, we do have to get some things out, and we do sometimes have to realize there are some things that we got to put away. But listen to me. Christianity is not just negative. In fact, Christianity is the greatest life that you will ever live. If you live to the Lord and dedicate your life to Him, even if you die today, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because you're going to live forever. Jesus said, if you believe in God... Believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare. And he went. He prepared. It's ready. And the decision is yours. You see, you've got to have the right perspective. Sometimes we're guilty of saying, oh, woe is me. And we get on our pity pot and we wail. And we seem to think that our faults, our problems, our difficulties are worse than everybody else's. But you know what I've come to realize? Everybody has problems. I used to think, why do we have to have so many problems? Why do there have to be so many difficulties? But you know what? I realized one day, the Lord's preparing me to go to heaven. In fact, there's an interesting word found in Romans chapter 12. In the English Bible, it says transform, or it speaks of transformation. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So the first thing you got to do is stand fast in the Lord. Now he says in verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion, help. These women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, how can you really live, Paul, by adding value to others? You see, first you stand in the gospel, first you stand in the word of God, but number two, you add value to others. You see, no wonder Paul said in the second chapter, Let each one live. For others. See? Every day when you get up, you need to ask yourself, what can I do to help somebody else? And then before you go to bed at night, you need to ask yourself the question, what did I do today to help others? I'm serious. The first thing Jesus said you have to do if you want to go to heaven is you've got to deny yourself. It's not here in the gospel. Now, here the gospel is important, but that's not the first thing you have to do if you want to be a Christian. You've got to deny yourself. That's what he said. (laughs) Selfishness will not be found in heaven. And unless we learn that we have a responsibility to add value to others, to pass on what we have. Now, listen, you can't give to people what you don't have. One time I went to a church and tried to help them out and Teachers get up on Sunday and tell about how important it was to be at Wednesday night and then not want one of them to come. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You can't tell people something to do unless you do it yourself first. That's why Paul said, take heed of the doctrine and continue in them. That's what he was speaking to Timothy. He said, continue in them. And he says, as a result of that, you'll save yourself and those that hear you. You see, if you want to add value to others, you've got to learn to be valuable yourself. And, you know, you're pretty pretty important. In fact, you're real important. The Bible says, for God so loved Tina that he gave his only begotten son. You know, I could go around this audience, if I could remember everybody's name, I could do that. But I'm not going to lie about it, I can't. And we could put your name in that verse. For God so loved Sandra. For God so loved Carl. For God so loved Chris. That He gave His only Son. You think about that. The God of the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence, was. Willing to offer his love and wants to save you so desperately that he gave his son. Think about that. You're valuable. And so because of the great value that Christ has placed on us, we need to walk in his steps. And we need to add value to others. Now listen. You know, I can pat Terry on the shoulder and I can say, Terry, I love you, brother. But you know what, if he has a need, and I see that need and I have the ability to help him, pat him on the shoulder and says, saying I love you don't help. You see, that's not adding value to people. Whatever you have, and all of us have something. Now, if I sit back and think like the one-talent man, I don't have much to offer. And I use that for an excuse and don't offer anything. Jesus is going to pronounce upon us at the end of time, thou wicked and slothful servant. And he's going to cast us out. So whoever you are today, doesn't matter who you are, if you're a subject to the king, and you are if you're a Christian, if you're a subject to Jesus Christ, you have something to offer. And God has given you something to use. Now sometimes we throw our hands up because we become discouraged, disillusioned. We don't know what to do. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know what to do, you got some brethren here that are experienced. Some that are younger. And they can help you. If they can't help you, shame on them. Yes, sir. If you can't help anybody, brother, shame on you. You see, because we're all of great value. And if you're going to be a life, you're going to live a life that is fulfilled. You've got to learn to add value to others. Now, Paul said in verse four, rejoice. <laughs> now, he's in prison. How did he say that? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now think about that. In fact, he mentions in the book of Acts that even the palace guard, or maybe it's in the book of Romans, that says even the guards in the palace now know about Jesus because of my imprisonment. (laughs) Now, when you have a tragedy, or you have a great trial, or you have a problem that you're dealing with, while it's going on, you can't rejoice. (laughs) When you lose your loved one, you know my dad lost my mom a couple of months ago, And when he goes to church, it's so hard. Because they went to church together for 65 years. They sit together for 65 years. And she's not there anymore. I'm going to tell you something. If my dad lives long enough, there's going to come a time in his life when he can help somebody else understand that this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Doesn't heaven grow sweeter every day? Don't you get tired of all the hustle and bustle of this life and all the problems? Well, I'm telling you, when you understand what Paul understood, Even while he's being beaten, he can rejoice. Not because of the whipping, but because of the joy that's set before him. The Bible says even Jesus despised the shame of the cross, but he endured it. Now that means he hardly could could stand it, but he endured it. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Because he knew there was more to this life than the physical life that he was then living. And even when he died, he knew life would go on. Now, that didn't always fix everything. If you're a Christian, your emotions are not going to be high all the time. Sometimes you're going to be in the valley. But if you can tell yourself, even in the valley, that there's something better coming, God's in control. I don't understand everything that's happening. I can't comprehend why things are like they are. My situation seems awfully grave. You know, our daughter and her husband had five children under five. They were planning to have four, but the fourth one was twins, so they had five under five. And she asked Lori one day, she said, Mom, does God is it possible that God sometimes gives you more than you can bear? Well, Lori said, I don't think so, but you know what? Someday you're going to have five weddings probably in one year. In other words, it don't get easier. If you think things are hard today, they can get harder tomorrow. And what you have to do is you've got to have the right perspective. And you can rejoice even in tragedy. Now, you don't rejoice over the tragedy. Oh, sometimes somebody will say, well, If if the wife's going to be a better person, going to get to be a better person, I'm going to treat her mean. I'm going to tell you something. that's That's a terrible attitude. You don't create or cause problems for anybody. You won't be justified and you'll be judged for it. But sometimes things come. Things happen. And I don't understand why sometimes. Seems like some families just face more than than any person should have to bear. But listen to me. In spite of it, you can get through. And there's glory in the future. There's glory in the future for you. The Bible speaks, remember I mentioned a while ago the word transform. That original term comes from a Greek word uh, from which we get the word metamorphosis. And, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of like the worm that becomes a butterfly. There's a transformation. That's the way God looks at us. We're, we're worms, but he wants us to be a butterfly. It's sort of like the grain of sand in the shell of an oyster. That grain of sand is an irritant. That grain of sand, would that oyster would like to remove, and he works at it and strives to remove it, but he can't remove it. It remains there, and it becomes a pearl. You see, you're suffering today because God wants you to be a pearl. When you endure problems, there's a reason for that. And that's why the inspired writer used the concept of metamorphosis. He's transforming you. When you face trials, while you grieve, while you endure the trial, it may appear, it may seem that you just can't stand it anymore. But you hold on. You hold on. And on the other side, you'll learn how to love in a deeper way. You'll learn how to comfort in a special way. You know, when somebody loses a child, my heart goes out to them. How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? It took Ed Daniel seven years to even get to the point he could look at a picture of his son. He died when he was 17 in his sleep. But now, Ed holds his head high and he can comfort like nobody else when somebody loses their spouse or they lost a child because he's been there. He's done that. I wouldn't wish Hardship on anybody. I wouldn't wish problems on anybody. But I'm telling you, when you face trial, God's working on your heart. He's working on your life. And if you can keep from being angry now, listen to me anger is the monster. If your trial makes you angry, if your problem makes you angry, and you hold on to that anger, it will grow and it will destroy you in bitterness. But if you can control that anger, now you might be angry for a while, but if you can control that anger and get rid of that anger, you can do like Joseph said, God was there working in my life all the time. I'm telling you, there is no life worth living than the Christian life. And someday, we're going to go home. And I'm telling you, we need to keep that in our hearts. We need to remember every day, this world's not my home. Don't get so wrapped up in school or or a job or even your family that you forget that. Because I'm telling you, there isn't anything in this life that's not temporal. And you're going to lose it sooner or later. Some of it you might even retain till you die. But when you die, you lose it, the rest of it. But your hope in heaven, your home in eternity, is forever and ever. Think about that. You see, you've got to have the right perspective. And if you have the right perspective, God will make you a pearl. God will transform your life, your attitude Everything about you, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, he didn't mean to that, that the trial itself is joyous. But he says you count it as joy. In other words, you intellectually remember. You intellectually remember that when this grieving process is over and you're on the other side because of this trial, you're going to be a better and a different person. And that'll help you get through the problem. Listen, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't let your thought take away your strength. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. He says, this is how you live the fulfilled life. You stand fast in the faith. You follow the Bible. You live by the Bible. It becomes a part of your being. It becomes a part of your thinking. It becomes a part of your walking. You add value to others. You reach out to others. You rejoice even in spite of the problems. And you never stop praying. Did you pray since Wednesday night or last Sunday? Did you pray? Besides just offering thanks for your food? You know, sometimes we don't even do that, do we? When was the last time you just got on your knees and just poured your heart out unto God? You see, if you want to live a fulfilled life, you not only have to know what God's word says, because that's how he talks to you, through the Bible. But you talk to him in prayer. Prayer is not only a, a powerful help, but listen to me. It's a, it's a work we need to be a, we need to have a praying life. Paul is telling us how to live. I want to ask you this morning is your life complete? Do you have the right attitude? Well Paul gives us the prescription. now I want to look at four more things and I'm going to close. Now I hope I'm not like Glenn my wife gets on me sometimes. you know Glenn can tell you he's fixing the clothes and it might be an hour later. No, that's an exaggeration. I love Glenn. I said that for Terry's benefit. <laughs> but these are four things that you gotta have. Possess a teachable spirit. If you wanna be, if you live, live a fulfilled life, you never stop learning. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't no matter how high your education is, it doesn't matter how many books you've read, you gotta continue to learn. And anybody can teach you. When you get to the point that you think somebody can't teach you, then you got bigger problems than maybe you had before. You need to keep a teachable spirit, possess a teachable spirit. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Solomon said, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Have you ever noticed how much we talk? Sometimes, in fact, it's hard to t- talk to others because they're talking so much themselves. Or it's hard for them to talk because I'm talking so much. You see, but if you want to be a teachable person, if you want to have that attitude, you got to listen. You gotta be willing to hear others. You know, we're guilty of of listening to answer. But really what we need to do is learn how to listen just to hear, not to answer, but to hear. And sometimes when we're getting ready to answer, if we had to sit and listen, the person might have answered themselves. You know, my children used to love to punch my buttons. They knew just exactly what to say. And my son and I sometimes will get in such disagreements. (laughs) But you know, when it was all said and done, he heard every word I said. He just didn't want me to know that. Sometimes people talk out loud because they need to be heard not because they're really saying something that you have to worry about, but they just need you to hear them. And I'm telling you, you'll never live a fulfilled life unless you're, you remain teachable. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That was the attitude of the Laosians. And Jesus said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, number two, take responsibility for your attitude. Stop passing the buck. Just a month or so ago, maybe maybe six weeks ago, I was talking to a fellow that was renting my house about coming to church. He used to come to church. And, oh, he had such a hateful attitude to the church. Blame everybody for everything. Blame God because his dad died. Blame God because the people weren't friendly. You know, he died with COVID about three weeks ago. And he died while he's blaming everybody else for his problem. We'll tell you something. Blaming people will not help you or anybody else. What we have to learn if we want to live a fulfilled life is take responsibility ourselves. You see, when somebody even wrongs us, somebody says something sharp to us or something ugly to us, when we get angry, that's our fault, that's our choice. You see, what we're doing when we get angry at how people treat us is we're actually allowing that person to make us have the wrong attitude. Now, I don't mean that people are justified in treating us wrong, but the point is, you don't have to allow that to influence your attitude. You can live above that. And if you want to, if you want to, be the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. If you want to have the right attitude, then you've got to learn to take responsibility for yourself. Fill your mind with good things, meditate on good things, practice good things. You must take personal responsibility. You cannot change the circumstances, the seasons, or the wind, but you can change yourself. That is something you have charge of. And that's what you gotta remember when you face difficulty in this life. Well, in Romans, it says that tribulations work produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. You know, one time I was talking to my grandma and uh, I told her, I said, why do I have to be so many problems? Why is it when you try to do the right thing, people who claim they're doing the right thing create such friction? She said, well, son, don't you want to go to heaven? Well, I was kind of taken back by that. Of course I want to go to heaven. The trying of your faith worketh patience. You see, you have trials. And those trials have the power to change your life. If you have the right attitude. One thing I learned when I was learning to fly, I, got, I sold when I was 16 and got my pilot license when I was 18. I don't fly anymore. I have my own personal reasons for that. But, but uh, I love to fly. And one thing that I learned uh, uh, when I was flying is there were so many variables and so many uh, things coming at you. The wind and, and up currents and down currents. You know, sometimes you're flying in the mountains at the right place the wind would be going over the mountain and pull you down into the canyon. You had to prepare for that before you crossed the ridge. When you flew from point A to point B, you had to recognize if you, if you had a crosswind and you had to figure that your magnetic uh, course against that wind or you drift off course. Sometimes uh, the updraft would raise you higher than you wanted to be. Sometimes it would cause you to be lower than you wanted to be. So what I learned was, is if you're going to fly and do well, you've got to correct all the time. Well, that's a little bit like Christianity. If you want to be successful, you got to make corrections all the time. you got to keep at it. you got to stay on it. The Bible says, if we walk in the light, even as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. Now listen, folks. Why didn't he tell us that we need the blood of Jesus if we're walking in the light? If you're walking in the light, you're not a sinner. But see, the problem is we're human. And sometimes we're going to fall. But Paul, John says, when you fall, you just get up. You seek forgiveness. He said in verse 10, if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that means, as you walk in the light, you walk along, sometimes you may take a step to the left, or a step to the right, sometimes you may fall flat on your face. Well, what do you do? You get up. You make a correction. And the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses you, as long as you walk in the light. You know, you <laughs> know, I guess maybe it's preachers, some of of us, as preachers' fault. But people sometimes act like that they can just barely live the Christian life. You know, in fact, I've heard people pray, Lord, if there's any sin that will hinder this prayer. Listen to me. Just because you committed a sin yesterday doesn't mean your prayer is hindered today. The prayer that's hindered is the prayer that the person has lived in rebellion when he prays and knows he's a sinner, knows he's wrong and he won't repent of it. You see, if you're a Christian, you're a priest. And the priest can go to God through Jesus Christ and seek forgiveness. And one sin's not gonna hinder your prayer. It's habitual sin that he's talking about. It's, if you're in covenant relationship with the Lord, that's what he's talking about when he says, he heard not sinners. He's not talking about just anybody who sins. We're all sinners in that respect. But he's talking about those who are not in covenant relationship with the Lord. If you're in covenant relationship with the Lord, you can speak to him at any time and seek forgiveness. And God will hear you. But when you live in rebellion and you ignore his word, then he's not going to hear you. He's not going to forgive you unless you repent in your heart. So, possess a teachable spirit. Take responsibility for your attitude. Travel the high road. Now, what does that mean? You see, if you travel the low road, you treat people worse than they treat you. Now, there's some people even in the church like that, I regretfully must say. The middle road. Now, there's a lot of us like this. Treat people the same way they treat me. You know, that brother said, people weren't friendly. Well, were you friendly? Sure. Sure. People have a responsibility to be friendly to others. <laughs> but tell me, friend, that does not excuse you from being friendly from your perspective. Even if nobody talks to you, you can talk to them. And most of the time, almost without exception, when you talk to them and smile, people enjoy that and they'll talk back to you. They'll talk with you. But the third road is where we need to be, the high road. If you want to be successful, if you want to live a fulfilled life in Christ, then you've got to walk the high road. What's that mean? Treat people better than they treat me. See, it's easy. It's easy if deity walks up to me after church and says, you're fat. Well, that's true. But I don't have to let that bother me. Some folks have told me that. You can see I'm really worried about it. But the point is, no matter what somebody says to you, you don't have to allow that to destroy you or to make you negative because you're not serving them. You're serving the Lord. The Lord's on your side. And I have faults, and I have problems, and I have difficulties but the Lord's ever at my side. You know, it's like that proverbial poem, Footprints in the Sand. The man said, well, I noticed there were two prints in the the sand all along till I had a big problem, and then the other other set of prints disappeared. He said, I want to know why you left my side when I needed you most. (sighs) Did you ever feel that way? The Lord said, why, sir? That's when I was carrying you and there was only one set of prints in the sand. I'm telling you, he don't leave you. You may feel forsaken, you may feel unappreciated, but the Lord's ever at your side. Listen to me, friends. When we live in this world, we need to treat everybody like they're the most important person on the planet. You know, years ago, George Holden, maybe some of you know him from Lubbock, Texas, sent me some tapes that uh, Earl Nightingale had made. And one of the things that, that really shook me is he said, you treat everybody like they're the most important person on the life, even the elevator operator. And he said, first of all, because that's really what they believe anyway. But secondly, that's the way we're supposed to treat each other. You know, I've thought about that a lot. It's so easy to bite back when somebody barks at you. It's so easy to treat others as they treat you. But you know, if we would treat each other like the other fellas, the most important person on the planet, how would the church change? How about in the home? You know what I found? When I'm treating my wife like she's the most important person on the planet, we don't even have an argument. The problem is sometimes I don't treat her like that. Then we argue. You see, we need to take the high road. We need to travel the high road. And finally, we need to understand the value of attitude. Talent is never enough. Knowledge is not the all answer. Now, knowledge helps. No doubt about that. But knowledge is not all of it. You know, some people seem like sometimes they're too smart for their own britches. Sometimes people are pretty is, pretty does. You know, my mom used to say. But all of that is nice. But it's not the most important It's not the all-encompassing answer, attitude. Attitude is the maker or breaker of our lives. You see, if you can master the right attitude, that will make all the difference in the world. Zig Ziglar said, your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude." And, buddy, that's true. You want to live a fulfilled life? (laughs) Then change your attitude. That's what it takes. That's what the Lord demands of us. Your attitude, Teddy Roosevelt said, your attitude about who you are and what you have is a very little thing that makes a very big difference. And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt was crippled when he was a kid. And uh, doctors and, and people who were supposed to know told him he'd never amount to anything, and he became president. In fact, he became one of the rough riders. He became a man who could mix and mingle with those New Yorkers, too. He became a lot, and they said he'd be nothing. I'm telling you, your attitude makes all the difference in the world, in conclusion. Listen to what this verse says. Hear it. Take it home today and read it again and think about it. Talk about it. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. On these things. Now listen to what Paul said in the last verse there. The things which you have learned. And received. And heard. And saw in me. These do. And the God of peace. Will be with you. I'm going to tell you this morning. If you're not a Christian. Then you're letting slip by. The greatest life that you could live. If you're in this audience today and you never obeyed the gospel, Jesus came and died for you. The Bible says, the grace of God, which is Jesus Christ, hath appeared unto all men. If you're in this audience, God's grace can cover your sin. And the Bible tells us that by hearing the gospel, it is necessary to believe that gospel in our hearts. Jesus said, he that believeth ...and is baptized shall be saved. You believe in Jesus? Surely you do. Repent of your sins. Recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross because of your sin. And change your mind. That's what repentance is. You see, you've got to understand what repentance is... ...or you're not going to be baptized. You're just going to take a bath. Repentance means you change your mind. You turn about face and as a result of repentance, the change of will... You change your life. Then you gotta confess it. Now I love this, this part. Jesus made a promise. He said, you confess me and I'll confess you. You think about that. Can you imagine, can you imagine Jack Holiday being confessed to God the Father and the holy angels? And yet if you'll confess him with your mouth unto salvation, that'll happen. And then be buried in him in baptism. Why? To have your sins washed away. Baptism saves you. 1 Peter 3, verse 21, that's not the figment of some preacher's imagination. That's the inspired apostle Peter. He says, baptism saves us. If you're in this audience and you've obeyed that gospel and you allowed sin to come back into your life, Don't let another moment pass you by. Get on your knees and seek God's forgiveness. If you want us to assist you in that forgiveness and you want to make your wishes known to us while we stand and while we sing together, won't you come? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail,